Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the first four verses of Psalm 71. Listen now to God's word. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts. Come and make um, these words of scripture come alive in us give us uh, a conviction of their truth help us to apply them to our lives and then to go forth and live them out in your power and this we pray in jesus name amen well in the uh, early service i referenced the fact that uh, that most of that group was old enough to remember aretha franklin when she was uh, singing a lot of her hit songs. There's several of us here in this service as well that remember 1965, her big hit, Rescue Me. It is widely regarded as her greatest recorded song. And the lyrics, though not particularly spiritual, I think it's about a man actually, and not about God, um, give voice to a universal human need that we all have for deliverance. Uh, We all have our struggles. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by those struggles. Life is hard. Life is lonely. We need the Lord to get by, but we also need one another to get by, as Scott was telling the children this morning. Psalm 71 was written by someone, we believe, who was getting up in years. It may or may not have been King David. We don't know. Uh, The psalmist is not named here in Psalm 71, but in verses 9, 17, and 18, we read these words, Do not cast me off in time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. God has been there for the psalmist time and time again. God has rescued this person from life-threatening circumstances. As he says in the psalm, from his enemies, from those who've come against him, and from the time of trial and trouble. As John Newton so powerfully wrote in the world's most beloved hymn that that the choir sang parts of this morning in their anthem, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Amen? And the older we get, the more danger, the more toiling, the more snares, uh, the more trouble that we encounter. No doubt about it. Now, in this psalm, the word righteousness is mentioned five times. Verse 2, which we read just a few moments ago. Verse 15, 16, 19, and 24. And this not only refers to one of God's essential attributes, that God 
is righteous, it also references his faithfulness to keep his promises. A righteous God can be trusted. A righteous God can be depended upon when we need him to deliver us. And deliverance, as we saw in that passage and throughout the scriptures, as well as rescue are major themes of the Bible. They occur hundreds of times in both the Old and New Testaments. And they're frequently found in the Psalms. Just, just bear with me for a moment and listen to all of these words of rescue from the Psalms. In Psalm 6 verse 4, Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Uh, the rescue of God and the love of God go hand in hand. He saves us. He helps us. As Scott told the kids this morning, in a time of desperation, because He loves us. And that, that love never fails. In Psalm 9, verse 14, He says, Save me so I can praise you publicly at Jerusalem's gates, so I can rejoice that you have rescued me. And in Psalm 18, he reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. He rescued me because He delights in me. You rescue the humble, O Lord, but you humiliate the proud. And then King David prays in Psalm 31, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And then he says, Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me speedily, David prays. And then in Psalm 84, um, the prayer is, Rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And in Psalm 91, again, um, the, the psalmist is asking God uh, to rescue those that are desperate, that have need of Him. Psalm 71, which we read just a few moments ago, written over 3,000 years ago, says this, Rescue me, O my God. Now, we sometimes think that expression, oh my God, is a fairly new one. And we hear it a lot. People say, oh my God, when they're upset, but also when they're happy. When something really good happens to them, it's, oh my God. Or if somebody is heartbroken, they're troubled, they've been disappointed, it's also, oh my God. Uh, do you need rescuing? Do you need rescuing in your life? Well, over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about the various ways God is able to save us, to deliver us from those things that weigh us down, that hinder us in the journey of faith with Jesus. And today we're just getting acquainted with the theme, which is prevalent again throughout Scripture. I read this week about a search and rescue team in the Rockies that uh, saves scores and and scores of people every single year who get lost in the mountains. Uh, Sally Schatz, who is a freelance writer and photographer, recalled uh, a few years back when there was this frantic search for this 11-year-old boy who got lost in the woods after playing hide-and-seek with members of his family and some friends. And what made it all the more difficult to find him uh, through search and rescue efforts 
was the fact that the boy was blind and had a partial hearing loss. The search and rescue experts who were a part of this particular team told Sally that the key to survival often hinges on one thing. Knowing and admitting that you are lost. Now there's one particular gender, which will not be named, that has a hard time admitting we're lost. Am I right, ladies? Amen. Well, this is why kids are more easily found by search and rescue teams than adults, uh, because kids don't stray as far as adults. They, they're more likely to kind of curl up in a sheltered place and wait for someone to come get them, to find them. And unlike many adults who get lost in the Rockies, this particular group said kids don't desperately try to save themselves. Uh, instead, they aren't afraid to stop and admit, I need help, I'm vulnerable, I'm just a child in danger. This is such a powerful metaphor, I think, for the Christian life. When you stop and think about it, um, how many times have you exuded confidence, self-assurance, self-reliance to others in, in saying something like, well, you know, I can fix this, I'm smart enough, I'm, I'm strong enough. Um, I, I can stop drinking so much. I can get my weight under control. I know my health's not good, but I can do this. Um, I, I, if I put my mind to it, I know that I can do this. Well, the scripture offers a much more sobering view of human nature. Romans 3 from the message gives us some, some fresh insight into this very important passage here in, in the book of Romans that talks about our desperate need for a Savior. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says as he paraphrases these verses. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. It's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everyone else. Guys, I want to talk to you for a moment, just the men. I want you to imagine yourself on uh, a cruise ship, somewhere down in the Caribbean, and... Uh, you leaned a little too far over the rail and fell into the water. Now, not knowing how to swim, you begin to drown. But there is a woman on the ship who sees you struggling, and she does what that dad did for his boy that Scott was talking about. She takes that lifeline, that, that ring, that life preserver, and she throws it over the side of the ship and it lands right in front of you as you are about to, to take your last breath. You are going down, down, down. Well, they, they pull you, the crew shows up about this time, they pull you to safety and, and you're, you're struggling, you're coughing out all this water from your lungs, you're barely able to breathe, there's a crowd that's gathered around you and they're all rejoicing that you're safe. And they're waiting for you to come to your senses and speak. And you finally open your mouth and say, Wow, 
Did you see how I grabbed onto that life preserver? How tightly I held on to it? Did, did you see how strong I was? How I held on for dear life? I mean, that was something, wasn't it? I mean, I was all over that. I'm pretty amazing, aren't I? I really know how to be saved. Needless to say, it would be bewildering to those people surrounding you, standing and looking down on you, if in that moment you drew attention to yourself and, and, and the way that you made it possible for you to be rescued. I mean, that just totally belittles the whole point of what happened which is you were saved. And you were powerless to do anything except just hold on for dear life as they pulled you back on board. A much more likely chain of events should, should have been that you would, once you got back on your feet, immediately try to find out who this woman was who, who was instrumental in your salvation so that you could thank her that she threw that lifeline to you. you. You would embrace her probably, ask her name, invite her to dinner, um, perhaps beg her to be the mother of your children, um, to marry you if she was single. She would be your savior. Desperate persons, persons who understand that they are helpless and hopeless without Christ, without the gift of rescue that God offers us in Christ, those persons, when they receive this gift of deliverance, they are grateful. They are overwhelmed with gratitude. And, and they want to live for Him, to give their life to Him. Because He has rescued them. How many of you send text messages most days? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. It looks like it's most people. Um, on average, Americans send 94 text messages a day. Now, at the 830 service, there are a lot of people shaking their heads. No way. And uh, I think the teenagers make up for what many of us don't send, don't you? I think there are people that send hundreds of texts a day. But, but on average, Americans send 94 text messages a day. During this hour of worship, 1 billion text messages will be sent in this country alone. And, and in 2018, they tell us that 9.4 trillion text messages were sent. And they know this because they track every single one of them. That, that is, is mind-blowing, isn't it? Um, I mean, we rely so much on text messaging now. I've, I've really toyed with the idea of changing my voicemail message here at church to something like, uh, thank you for calling, please don't leave a message, hang up and send me a text. Because I forget to check and see sometimes if I have messages. Among the most popular text message, it's in the top 20, is OMG. OMG, you all know what OMG means, right? Yeah, oh my God. Or some would say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I know, I know that OMG has trivialized something that for us as believers is very important, and that's the name of God. Um, 
in some ways, perhaps this, this is a, an affront to God's name, a misuse, misuse of God's name. Uh, I think it's disappointing to us when we invoke the name of God in vain. Um, I think God probably is sad when we speak His name in this context, and yet there's no prayer, uh, no recognition of God's presence that's associated with it. I think God wants us to look for Him. And I think if we say, OMG, if we cry out, rescue me, oh my God, and we really mean it, then it can be an indication of, of a life that's surrendered to God, that's yielded to God, that's in touch with God. One of my favorite prayers to pray as I get older is something called the Jesus Prayer. It's very old. It's an ancient prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I frequently utter that prayer over and over as I'm making that five-minute drive from my house to the parsonage. It's only two miles because I never know what I'm going to find when I get here, do I, Shannon? <laughs> no, we don't. And so I, it's an awareness that I need God's mercy um, to be used by Him, to respond to whatever He sets before me in the day to come. Uh, I often repeat these words when I'm headed to the hospital uh, to visit someone that is very sick or dying. I've prayed these words many times when I've met with someone who's in a crisis in their marriage because of infidelity and, and adultery. I pray it when I leave my study most Sundays. Um, on my way to the sanctuary to lead worship, cognizant of what, what I'm about to do, and that is to preach and teach God's Word and lead worship. And I pray it often when I'm just overwhelmed by the weight of, of my ordination and the responsibility that comes with that as pastor of this church. There are days when I struggle to find the words. I don't know exactly how to pray, so I say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. This Jesus prayer has its origins in the Egyptian desert 1,500 years ago. Its simplicity makes it easy to memorize and to pray, no matter what the circumstance or situation. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus was, was going uh, through Jericho, there was a blind man there by the name of Bartimaeus, and he heard that Jesus was passing by, and he cried out these words. He shouted, Mark 10, 47 says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That is the prayer of a desperate man who needs rescuing. Are you in need of rescue? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is a good place to start. That is a great way for you to pray. Will Gimeno entered the World Trade Center on September 11th, 18th anniversary of the attack on our nation, on New York and the Pentagon, uh, on that plane that, that fell out of the sky and ended up in Pennsylvania. Um, that's coming up this week. It's on Wednesday. But on the day of the attack in 2001, Jamino was, was, along with several other officers in the NYPD, on their way into Tower 1 
of the World Trade Center to rescue people that were trapped on the upper floors. And that is when the building fell. It literally collapsed on top of these five officers. Three of them were killed instantly. Jamino and his partner uh, survived, and they were pinned under large blocks of concrete rubble and twisted, twisted steel. And for the next 10 hours, they fought through pain and thirst inside this concrete tomb with all this dust and smoke swirling around them. They fought to stay alive. Ruptured gas lines would send these giant fireballs just hurtling through the room where they were, narrowly missing them. The, the heat became so intense that the ammunition in Jamino's gun actually went off, shot himself in the leg, bullets ricocheting all around him. At one point, his hope began to falter, even though he had been crying out and praying to his God. He said, we had been crushed and burnt. We had been shot. He said, I was exhausted. I had done everything as a police officer that I could do and everything as a human being we could do. I was at the point where I just knew, I knew we were going to die. Yet when things began to seem unbearable, impossible, Jamino saw a figure coming toward him in the rubble. And it wasn't a rescue officer with the NYPD. Um, it, it was this person in a glowing white robe and a rope around his belt. He said, I couldn't make out his face, but I knew immediately that this was Jesus. That Jesus had come to me. And according to Jamino, the vision filled him with a surge of hope. He said, I had this resurgence of optimism. The resurgence of my will to fight on and not to give in to death. And turning to his partner, he yelled, We're going to get out of this hellhole. And indeed, a few hours later, the Marines and the NYPD rescue workers lifted him and his buddy out of their temporary prison and set them free. And to this day, Janino thanks God. Thanks God for uh, the presence of Jesus with him in that crisis and for the rescue that came to him. The events of that day gave him a new perspective on the brevity of life. And he says, deepened his faith in Jesus. So I wonder, what does it take for you to cry out to Jesus for rescue? How bad do things have to get? How crushed does your spirit have to be in order for you to cry out, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or put another way, rescue me, oh my God. Now as we prepare to sing our closing song, I want to read, uh, lead you in just a brief moment of prayer. God, we acknowledge in this moment that, um, that we're not nearly as strong as we think we are, as we pretend to be, that uh, our lives are are weak in so many ways, in so many areas. There's, there's a desperate need for you to come 
and to save us from our sins, obviously, but to rescue us from ourselves, from our arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Lord, we, we need to be laid low. Many of us need to be laid low before we'll wake up to how desperate we are for your mercy and grace. And we just pray that, that in these coming weeks that you will give us some tools, some ways of thinking and being and doing that will help us experience your freedom, your deliverance. Come, Lord Jesus, and rescue uh, men and women, teenagers and even little children. Come and do a new work in all of us, we pray, for the glory of God the Father. In the name of Jesus the Son, amen.